My name is Anthony Saladino, and I am the director at Virginia Tech. Let's um, go! Let's go. Come on. And uh, man, my wife and I have been there for 10 years. We've been blessed to be a part of that community. There was five years where we served on two campuses. We served uh, at Radford University for five years. Come on. Highlanders. And, uh, and just, it's been a sweet, a sweet ride. One of our passions in life is to really see heaven come to earth. And so in this session, what I hope that you walk away with is, is God's heart for humanity. And so when we look at this session, you know it's entitled Diversifying Your Circle. But if we don't understand the biblical reasons why this is critical, then we continue to move in the same direction that we're going. Because you have to be intentional. You have to be strategic. And the reality of it is, is and this is not uh, something that I think we're all fully aware of, we need to do some serious soul searching because you are all born with a lens. And the way you look through your lens really determines how you respond to certain situations, how you see certain people. And some of this is not necessarily your fault in the sense of, something that you wanted or, or, or desired, but something that was, by the culture you grew up in, instilled in you. And you don't even know it. Your parents discipled you more than any person in the world. Why? Because for 18 years of your life, you lived under their roof. And there's things that you don't even know, you've absorbed, from them that impact this very specific topic. Let me give you a little bit of background and then we're going to dive into some scripture. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. God, I need you. God, I pray in this last breakout, God, that you would just come in the power of your spirit to awaken us, God, to your heart for humanity. God, that, that how the cross tore down the walls that sin has risen and, and the walls of hostility that sin has caused in our world when it comes to race, God. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, for the power of the Spirit to come and penetrate us. And, God, would you reveal in each and every one of us, God, where our heart is not right, our lens is not correct in the way that we see people. Give us a heart for humanity for every people group under the sun because everyone's been made in the image of God. And so, Lord, we just need your help, God. We need your help. We can't do this without you. God, we can't handle this ancient problem called sin without the cross, without Jesus, without the power of the Spirit. So we invite you to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I grew up in a town called Clark, New Jersey. Now, what you don't know about New Jersey, if you're not from New Jersey, is that New Jersey is an extremely diverse state, right? It's the most densely populated state, at least when I was growing up. I don't know the statistics today. I'm, I'm an old man now. But when I was growing up, New Jersey was the most densely populated state. And, and you had communities. You had the Portuguese lived in this area. You had the Italians lived in this area. You had the Puerto Ricans lived in this area. I mean, and, and you identified by your nationality. So, like, when people asked you, like, who are you? They wanted to know, like, are you Italian? Are you Portuguese? Or, you know, where do you come from, right? And I grew up in this town that happened to be, in the midst of all this, happened to be an all-white town. All-white town. And what I didn't realize that in that process, in growing up in an all-white town, I didn't know that I developed an, a lens and didn't see people the same. It was a sin I needed to repent of. But I didn't know that until I come to know Jesus. And so here I am, I go to college, I, I played soccer in college, I went to a university, had some uh, black guys on my team, I lived with them, some of the most amazing guys I had ever met. But we had conversations that, that I, I didn't know if they were okay. 
Like, dude, why do you pack lotion everywhere you go? And they start teaching me about ashiness, you know? Like, my skin gets ashy. I'm like, what? You know? And, I, and so we start learning. I'm like, dude, teach me about your hair, you know? Like, I started asking these questions. They pro- I don't know how they felt about it, you know? But I was like, you, you're so amazing. Like, you intrigue me, you know? Because I've never been around people that were different than me. And, and some of my best friends in college. But this is before Jesus, right? This is before Jesus. What I, when they found out that I was from Clark, New Jersey, I noticed that something happened in their face. These are guys, man, that I'd spill my blood for. We, we went to battle on the field, and when they heard that I was from Clark, New Jersey, something shifted. Because I found out that, that if you were black, you, you spelled Clark, New Jersey, C-L-A-R-K-K-K. And even though I understood a little bit of what that meant, I didn't have a clue. You know, I'm like, okay, the KKK is not good. (laughs) But I didn't really understand, and I didn't have a clue. Fast forward a couple years, I come to know Jesus. Radically saved. I mean, I was a mess, guys. Just, I got radically saved, stepped into a Chi Alpha meeting, heard Jesus' voice, felt his presence. I was on my face. And I became just passionate about reaching people for Jesus. And I was on campus, and I was, I mean, I went out every day as a student, guys. I went out every day to share the gospel with somebody every single day. And I was at the University of Montana when I got saved. I went from my little university in New Jersey, and I went to the University of Montana, which, by the way, is just culture shock, period. You know, I didn't know cowboys existed anymore until I got out there. And so I'm in a whole new world, whole new culture. And I'm walking on campus, and one day... Um, as I'm walking, I'm, I, I've probably shared the gospel now with four people, and I'm out there, and the Holy Spirit says something to me that I was not ready for. And he just asked me a simple question. He said, who are the people that you just talked to? And I'm like, why are you asking me that question? Yeah. And so I was like, well, I just shared with David, and I just shared with Kevin, and I just shared, you know, and he's like, No, 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 no. Who are the people that you just shared with? And I'm thinking, I don't understand the question, God. It seems simple, but I don't understand. What are you saying? And he said, what did they look like? And all of a sudden I realized I only approached white males. And he said, does not everyone need to know my love? Why are you looking through a lens and only approaching people that look like you? And I thought, what? Forgive me. And so the next person I went and I talked to was an African-American. We had the best conversation. Now, he didn't get saved, but we had one of the best conversations. And I, I think the Lord was trying to show me that naturally, even subconsciously, we like to surround ourselves with people that look like us, that act like us, that are into the same things that we're into. And so the reason I share that story is because you need to know if you're going to diversify your circle, first of all, you need the Holy Spirit to help guide you and lead you in that process. But you also need to be intentional to love people beyond what's naturally easy for you. And that's why you need to be people of prayer. Because you've got to be able to grab hold of God's heart. Because the issue that we're dealing with in our day and age is an ancient issue. It's an issue of sin. And because it's an issue of sin, we see that God deals ruthlessly with sin, doesn't he? But we kind of we kind of live in this place where we're like, you know, that's not that bad. No, racism is not okay in any form or fashion. And what we've done in our society is that we've allowed sin and the walls of hostility that that sin has created to still be erected. But the truth of the matter is that gospel, the cross of Christ tore down walls of hostility. My passion 
is to see heaven on earth. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Ever say every nation. From all tribes. All tribes. Come on. All people and languages were standing before the throne. Listen, here's the deal. And they were worshiping our God. It says they were worshiping our God. There's one God. There is one God for all of humanity. And one day. And I just, I just, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it looked like this. All the white people stood over there worshiping Jesus around the throne. All the black people, all the Asian people, all the Hispanic people. I don't think it looked like that at all because that wouldn't be heaven. No, we're going to be mixed. We're going to be rubbing shoulders for eternity. Worshiping the one who's worthy. And so let me ask you a question. Why shouldn't we be experiencing that now? We need heaven to invade earth. And think about that for a moment. What would your campus think if they walked past the Chi Alpha gathering and there was people from every nation, every tribe, they heard worship music go from English to French to Spanish to Congolese? I, I guarantee you they'd be like, at least stop and be like, what is going on in there? <laughs> you know? What is going on in there? Listen, friends, I hope that you hear God's heart for this. The problem still exists today. Jesus dealt ruthlessly with sin by letting his son die on a cross. And when he rose three days later, his heart was to destroy the walls of hostility. Galatians 3, verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Again, we see here, what's interesting is that it is known and studied. I saw this on Boston College, did a research on young Jewish Men that they were to recite three blessings daily, and they were to express gratitude for one for one. Um, they were they were to express gratitude for three different things in a negative way. It was to thank God that I'm not a Gentile. They were supposed to say this three times a day. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. And so, what we see here is that Paul is actually addressing this reality. In this moment, in the way that he dresses the Gentile church, he's like, look, the wall of hostility, it's not that the differences don't exist, right? It's not that, listen, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that it is diverse. And if we try to melt away the reality that we're different, then we don't get to see the image of God that he desires us to see because you bear the image of God in a way that I don't. And I need that in my life. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But the point is this. Listen, we've got to understand that Jesus, through the cross, and when we came into him, he removed those barriers. And so he's saying, hey, listen, there's no Jew or Gentile it doesn't mean that those people don't still exist and they're not still valuable, but the fact is that we became one into the body of Christ, that we are now family, and that that wall of hostility has been stripped away. And we can no longer allow society and sin to declare our view in the topic. Are you following me? You'll notice this on campus. And again, I, I, I challenge you. When you get back and the semester starts back up, some of you start in like a week, if you're at Virginia Tech, man, you don't start for like a month. And, and so remember this, right? My students, take down notes. Listen, I want you to do something for me when you get back to campus. I want you to purposely approach people that don't look like you and to love them and to engage them in conversation. Jesus loves them. 
But what's so easy is just take a, take a moment and do some people watching. I'm not I'm not big. I know there's some some of my friends like love people watching. Like they'll just go out and sit on campus and watch people interact. But what you notice is that our 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 campuses have created a culture of what's socially acceptable. For example, do I have any athletes in here? Okay. So at least on our campus, on what campus are you on? USC. USC. So athletes, they often dress in their gear and they hang out together. And they, at least some of the football guys that we've started to reach over the years that I've been at Tech, that they, they I'm forgetting the word, so forgive me because it's not my notes, but they basically refer to non-athletic students in a, they have a term for them. And so what does that do? That puts you in a separate category, doesn't it? But they don't even realize they're doing it, not that they're even doing it for an ill sake. They're just, they just refer to all the rest of the student body, which is the vast majority of the student body, as someone that is a categorized as just a normal student. And again, forgive me for not remembering the word, because it would just drive home the point even more. But the point is this. Your, your campus has created a culture that causes people to be sit in categories. And, and what happens is, is we see the category instead of an individual, we won't approach that person. But you need to say, God, help me to see people the way you see them and not the way society and sin has categorized them. And repent for seeing them in a different light. Can I just be honest with you? We need to repent. We need to repent. As the church, we should be leading the way in this. What's interesting, right? Okay, so the gospel tears down the walls of hostility, but are we living in the truth of that today on our campus? How did Jesus deal with this? I think this is a great question. How did Jesus deal with this? Well, first of all, let me just say this. In John 17, he prays for his future disciples. And this is what he says. I do not ask for these only, so not just the current disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, you. He's praying for you right now in this passage. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. As Jesus is praying for his future disciples, which is all of us in this room, and I just want you to know, what I see right here is a picture of heaven, the diversity in this room. is so precious to the Lord. But the question I have for you is, are we one? And are we praying for that? Are we joining Jesus in this prayer? God, help us make us one, God. Help me to love my brother. Help me to love my sister well. Because that brings glory. And the world begins to know that Jesus is real. When he sees me laying my life down for someone that doesn't look like me. When the world sees me laying my life down for someone that society and sin has categorized in a, in a category that I shouldn't be interacting with from the world's standards, but the gospel has brought us together to be one. It reveals the glory of God. I believe this is a big deal to Jesus. It's interesting that we talked about the woman at the well last night. And so I won't spend a long, long time because I, I wanted to share about how Jesus really did. He tore, he, I love that Jesus destroyed the cultural norms of the day. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then why aren't we destroying the cultural norms of the day? 
when you go to the dining hall? Who do you sit with? Come on, friends, let's, let's get this. Let's get this. Some things about Samaritans that maybe weren't said last night, but the Jews and Samaritans have despised each other for about 500 years at this point. After the Syrians captured Samaria, they deported all the Israelites and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Jews. Listen to this. In the strict Jewish household, if a son or daughter married a Gentile, his funeral was carried out. He was considered dead. Jews returned to their homeland after the exile. They viewed the Samaritans not only as political rebels, but half-breeds whose religion was tainted. Again, we know from last night, there was just a severe hatred. A severe hatred. But Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. And he loved her so much. I loved how, how uh, he brought to the light that this was the one who heard from Jesus' own mouth first that he's the Messiah. You see, and all of a sudden you grab hold of Jesus' heart and you see that a broken woman who is outcasted from her own community but also from the Jews was so loved by God that he would send his son to meet her at the well and to lift her shame and to change her life. That's just one, one story of how Jesus dealt with it. But Jesus also dealt with it through the story of the Good Samaritan. Understanding this story, right, they're, they're questioning how the, the religious people are questioning, who's my neighbor, right? Because they want to justify themselves. They only want to love people that are in proximity. But Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, and in order to do that, he gives them the story about two, a Levite and a priest, who basically these two religious guys who see this man who's beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and they just pass by on the other side. And come, here comes a Samaritan. And so you have to understand, to their ears of the hearers, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. There is, those two words don't go together. Good and Samaritan don't go to, together. In fact, you can imagine that every ugly word they could imagine from, from the Jewish perspective would go with Samaritan other than good. And so here the Samaritan comes and he lays down his life and he spends money and he spends time caring for this guy. And what Jesus is illustrating is that your neighbor, to love your neighbor is the one that's, that's near. Your neighbor is, is those that are human. Your neighbor is those that are in need. You, need, you have a responsibility as followers of Jesus. And what happened is, I'm sure these, we can come up with a million excuses of why these, this priest and this Levite didn't, didn't spend time to care for this person that was dying on the side of the road. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can come up with some serious excuses of why We've not been purposeful to love and to care for different subcultures on our campus. Well, somebody else will do it. Well, I'm just not gifted. Well, I've just never got along or I don't have the time. It's just going to be hard. I'll just be honest with you. Jesus was willing but I think what he was pointing out too is that indifference, being indifferent to the situation at hand is not loving your neighbor. You can't, you can't just be indifferent to the situation because actions speak louder than words. We want to see revival. Do you know that in revival, unity and diversity has been a part of revival forever? Did you know that? 
Did you know that when the Spirit is poured out, He brings a unity that, that transcends everything? Let me give you an example. Would you turn to Acts chapter 2? Now, I want, I want to be honest with you. I've read this passage probably, let's just say I've been in Kaiapha for 20 years. I've probably read it at least, you know, 20 times in my 20 years because we teach on this often. But as I was preparing for this class, something stuck out to me that I had not really noticed before. This is verse 5, chapter 2, verse 4. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Say, every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then it lists like 13 different people groups. And verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And then we see verse 41, that basically 3,000 of these 13, 14 different people groups accepted Jesus. Different people groups, different languages, different cultures gathered together in one place. The Spirit is poured out. And what happens? They come together because of Jesus. They come together. There's this church of 3,000 people that now has a minimum of 14 different cultures in it. I don't know if we've ever picked up on that reality. That the first revival that had ever happened in Acts chapter 2 was a, was a revival of different cultures coming together. The early church was a diverse church. The early church was a diverse church. Let me, let me share something with you about, have you guys ever heard of Azusa Street? You guys know that, you know, I don't know where everybody's at here when it comes to Chi Alpha, but Chi Alpha is missions armed of the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God was birthed in the United States as a result from Azusa Street revival. Let me give you a little history lesson. I've got to read this. I don't have this memorized, so, so stay with me. The Uzuza Street Revival, as most of us know, is considered the birthplace of Pentecostalism. Some of the impact of the revival and a consistent dogmatic emphasis on the Holy Spirit baptism with evidence of speaking in tongues were the following. While other Pentecostal denominations struggled to grow in ethnically diverse populations, Azusa Street holding meetings for 10 years 1906 to 1915 was extremely diverse. One quote, people, one quote, people from a diverse diversity of backgrounds came together to worship. Men, women, children, black, white, Asian, Native American, immigrants, rich, poor, illiterate, and educated. People of all ages flocked to Los Angeles with both skepticism and desire to participate. The intermingling, intermingling sorry, the intermingling of races. And the group's encouragement of women in leadership was remarkable. As 1906 was the height of the Jim Crow era of racial segregation and 14 years prior to women receiving suffrage in the United States, racial reconciliation women's leadership was a true hallmark of the rebirth of Pentecostalism from previous centuries. The most striking and unusual feature of the Azusa Street meetings was a racial harmony. Come on. Help us, Jesus. Bring it back. That prevailed under the leadership of Seymour. This led Bartleman, a writer, a journalist in those days, to say the color line was washed away in the blood. Many people were amazed. In the most racist period of America, his American history, thousands of whites came to Azusa Street and submitted to the church leadership that in the beginning was essentially African-American. And although whites soon became the majority, Seymour continued to pastor 
and exercise pastoral and spiritual authority, spiritual authority over the meetings at the African American hands. Were laid on the heads of white seekers. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They also looked to Seymour as their teacher and spiritual leader. The revival that was birthed in Azusa Street brought diversity in, a, in an era where this was so foreign. I don't know how that doesn't grip our heart. God, we want revival. Well, then we need to start loving people that don't look like us. And we need an outpouring of the Spirit in our community like never before. Because it's a supernatural work because of the issue of sin. Let's be real. Let's be real. This should start to move some of us. There's a God that came to destroy the racial barriers in our nation and to create a community that is diverse because everyone, as I said earlier, is made in the image of God. I will know more about God as I spend time with people that bear his image in a way that I don't. And, and the fact of the matter is we should be intrigued. The white community should be blown away when we get to see the African community begin to worship Jesus because they do it with joy and excitement and they get their dance on and we're just boring worshipers. You know what I'm saying? But he's worthy of it all. But there should be something that intrigues us about their freedom in that. And we should, instead of being comparative or concerned or uncomfortable, we should be excited. It should do something in our heart that gets us excited. Because they're loving Jesus that way. Amen? Are you still with me? Did yeah. I put you all to sleep? I'm being touched. I don't know about everybody else, but but I think it's 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 one of those things. Listen, I don't think we realize this too, because we even read the Bible with a lens. We read the Bible viewing what we read through the lens. If you're a white person, you read the, the Bible as if these people are white. Guess what? They're not white. Just, just Middle Eastern. They're Middle Eastern in Africa. And so when you read the Bible, you need to start reading with the correct perspective of where these people are come from because that might help some of us, right? So again, 3,000 were added to their number from 14 different people groups. Within those people groups, I just want to talk about one. Is that okay? Libya. You guys know where Libya is? Northern Africa, right? Northern Africa. Libya is referred to numerous times in the scriptures, both directly and indirectly. In Matthew 27, for example, we learn that it was a Liberian man, Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross for our Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we learn that God-fearing men from Libya were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and heard the apostle Peter preach the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> in Acts 11, we learn that a Libyan Cyrene followers of Jesus Christ helped bring the gospel to Antioch, Syria, and made disciples for Jesus there. That's Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 13, we learn that a Libyan man Lucius of Cyrene becomes one of the leaders of the church at Antioch, helping send Barnabas and Paul to take the gospel to Asia and to Europe. For, Antioch, for the Antioch church, we see that ministry leaders were very diverse. Barnabas was a strong Jewish teacher evangelist sent from the Jerusalem church to care for the Antioch church. Simeon was from Niger, a country adjacent to African 
the Niger River, probably black. Lucius of Cyrene was from North Africa, west of Egypt. Not only do we have Jews and Gentiles, but we, but those from different cultures, classes, and linguistic backgrounds ministering together. This, this is your roots. Do you understand this is our roots? God always intended, always intended that the gospel was for all. Was for all. I can only imagine when Martin Luther King said that the most segregated hour in our nation is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. What that must have done to that man. Obviously, he was passionate about seeing racial reconciliation. The church must be passionate about seeing racial reconciliation. We cannot be indifferent on this issue anymore. Can I just be honest with you? Indifference is a sin. That's why we need to repent. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. So I want to give you some practicals. What time do we got? Oh, good. I think for reconciliation in our community to happen, there's three things that need to happen. The three things are hospitality, solidarity, and mutuality. Hospitality says, we welcome you. Being hospitable means serving others, but we cannot serve others the way we want to be served. Listen, if I'm going to have a vegetarian over to my house and I serve steak, what did I just communicate? I don't really care about you. I mean, if I know they're a vegetarian and I put steak on the table and it says, I know you're a vegetarian, but I don't really care what you like. And if you come over to my house, you're supposed to eat meat. That's not being hospitable. Listen, loving your neighbor is, again, loving with the same intensity that you would take care of yourself. You extend that outward. The law of love says I laid down my rights for my brother, for my sister. That's the law of love. Like, I lay down my life. I die to self in order to lift this person up and serve them. And so hospitality in our life groups, in our communities, must look like being willing to forego what you like in worship, what you like the way that you like, even perhaps maybe the snacks that you put up at a social event. We have this event at Tech, and uh, it's called the Hoedown. Okay? I mean, we have... Hundreds of people come to the hotel. But I will never forget. My wife is like, there's the Holy Spirit and then my wife. You know what I'm saying? And she says, as I'm walking out the door, she says, hey, have fun at your all-white event. And I was like, what? Now, I'll be honest, we still have the hoedown. But we've even been in the last two years trying to figure out how, what can we do to rebrand this event that hundreds of students have fun at that will be welcoming to all. Does that make sense? Are we thinking through that kind of lens? Because if we're going to have an event that says you're not welcome. I remember when we started reaching the football team. I had, man, some of my favorite moments were having these th three linemen, or well, two of them were linemen. I actually said, actually, one was a lineman, one was a linebacker, and one was in a wide receiver. And they were like three times my size. I know that's hard to believe. But <laughs> three times my size, these African-American guys love Jesus. I loved having them in my house, holding my kids. But I'll never forget, like things that you just, you just have no clue. We're sitting around the fire one night. And my buddy, 
Joshua Stanford, who has, uh, he's got dreads, and he's the wide receiver, and he's sitting so far from the fire. And I'm like, dude, what's, what's going on? He's like, I can't get close. And I'm like, why? He's like, because I can't get the smoke in my hair. And we just laughed about it because I had no idea. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm white. You know, I had no idea. And we just laughed about the differences and we're coming to learn each other in the process. But it was such a beautiful time for me and my wife to have these guys hang out with us and, and uh, to love on them. And so guess what? We didn't do fires <laughs> anymore. Even though we loved sitting around the fire, we just didn't do it anymore. Right? Because we want him to feel comfortable. Because we're here to love him. Hospitality. Loving people. Listen, let me just say this in worship. Uh, any worship leaders in the house? All right. Listen, you know, we have to. And I, I get it. It's not easy. I remember we had this guy. His name was Devin. Devin, uh, he was an African-American. He went with a bunch of our guys to uh, a concert down in Charlotte. It was a Jesus culture concert. And so they're on their way down and they're talking about music. And, and he's texting me and he's like, Pastor, how can these guys not know anything about gospel music? And I responded, I'm so sorry, Devin. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. Help educate them, you know? And because that's the reality, right? But if we're going to be a diverse community, then we have to love the people and begin to serve them in a way that they would feel at home. And so, yes, it's welcoming. Yes, you know, the smile. And, but again, what you want to do is you want to have a diverse group, right? And so when you want to have a diverse group, you need to begin to serve them in a way that they're going to feel loved and accepted. And so we got to be willing to step out of the box. Listen, I'll be honest with you. When I came to Virginia Tech 10 years ago, and it has continued to be my prayer, I'm like, God, would you give me dynamic, dynamic African-American males? Would you give me dynamic Af Af um, Latino males? Would you give me? I'm still praying. Because I want to see heaven, but I don't want diversity for diversity's sake. Because I think we can go after diversity for the wrong reasons. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I walk through learning that at the beginning stages, I really was in it for the wrong reasons. And I thought if I was just doing this one thing, hospitality, that will be diverse. If I just welcome them, if I just train my students that, that understand, you got to understand this, and I mean this with all my heart, everybody that walks through the door, whether it's a life group, core group, whatever you call them, small group Bible study, or a large group, or a prayer meeting, everybody that walks through that door is extremely valuable to God. Therefore, they are extremely valuable to us. And I want everybody that walks through our door to know that. No matter where they come from. No matter what they look like. No matter where they've been. And so you need to make a big deal out of it. And I thought, man, if we just do that, we got it. Guess what I learned? That's not the answer. Because hospitality Although says you're welcome, if you if you're missing solidarity, it says you desire you desire diversity for diversity's sake. Solidarity means we're with you. We're with you. Will I stand with my brothers and sisters when their people? are experiencing injustice. As a pastor, I think that my community deserves that as a pastor I stand with them when they ex start to go through things. This is a process that I'm learning. A few years ago, when all of that stuff was happening, 
you know, with Ferguson and all those things that were happening and hitting the news. Listen, here's, here's a mistake that I made as a pastor. And I'm sharing this with you because I want you guys to not live in the same mistakes that I've made in your communities. I don't ever talk about um, world events from the pulpit because there's just so many that I can't cover them. And so what I didn't realize was happening that when, when, there, when there's some form of injustice that's happening in the world, what, what students need to know is that I recognize that and I'm here to stand and support you as an individual. So if I don't ever pray for those things that are happening, if I don't mention them, if I don't care enough about what that particular you know, group of people is walking through this moment, the fear that might be stirred with them, in them, like I had no idea until I sat down with students that were walking through that. I didn't realize how fearful it was to get pulled over in that season, and maybe still is. But I'm not loving them and standing with them in solidarity if I never say anything about it. Or if I don't preach from the pulpit about how the Good Samaritan is actually God's heart, that we would not allow our indifference in, in, to, to determine who our neighbor is, but that we love all people, right? If I don't preach from that stuff, if I don't love people enough, if I don't stand with people in those moments, then, then there's no solidarity. And am I really caring for them, or if I, do I just want them in the room? Because it makes me feel good about myself. Lord, forgive us if that's the case. So you need to be hospitable, but you need solidarity. <clears throat> and then you need mutuality. Mutuality says we need you. Again, and I've said this over and over again. Listen, we need people from other cultures, different, different races in our community. I don't know about you, but I, mean, I want to be built up into the image of Christ. I want to be strengthened in my face. I want to become more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's my heart. And what I notice in the scripture is that when the body comes together and they walk in unity, that they're built up together, that as every member of the body functions in the way that God created in the function, we become more like Jesus. Did you know that? And therefore, man, I don't want to be missing out. And, and so we need each other. Again, because... Because of our specific upbringing, there's things and ways that our brothers and sisters connect with God that we just, we, we need. We need that. We need the giftings that they bring to the table. We, we need the way that they bear the image of God. We need that. It strengthens us. We need each other. And we will begin to grow as we become one. And so we need to lay down our differences. We need to begin to, to do this. I think that when I, again, when I think about giftings and when I think about image of God, but man, I want to know more. I want to know more. May that be your heartbeat for life. You want to know more about God. And we get to do that and experience that together as we come together. Here's what I, I have an assignment for you. I want you, maybe even looking around the room, and the people that are in this room from different campuses, because every campus has a, a, a unique culture, a different ethnicity. And I want you to ask, what would it look like for us to be hospitable? How would you feel welcome? What would make you feel welcome? What would, what would help you feel like we're with you? And how can we affirm that we need you? Are you following me? I didn't see anybody write those things down. So I know this, it will not happen. So I'm gonna say it again. I want you 
look around this room in about minutes. We're, 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 we're ahead of schedule. Okay. I'm done. That's a miracle, by the way. Yeah. My Virginia Tech people know that. I want you to look around this room in about a minute. And it would do you so well to find three people that are different than you and ask them these three questions. If you were to come to my Chi Alpha group, how would you feel welcome? What could we do to make you feel welcome in a genuine way? And maybe even, how have you not felt welcome when you stepped into Christian community before? Secondly, what can we do to communicate we're with you? How would you feel like this community would be willing to stand with you? What needs to happen? And lastly, how can we communicate that we need you in a genuine way? If we're really going to see things change on our campus and we're really going to diversify our circle, these are the questions you need to start asking people so that you can be the community that loves people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people group, from every language, and heaven invades your campus. Amen. Can I pray for you? Jesus, we need you. We thank you that this is your heart. Now, God, we ask, make it our heart. Thank you that this is your heartbeat. Make it our heartbeat. God, I repent. God, we repent for every, every way we succumbed to the laws of hostility that society and that sin has created. And we ask now that you would forgive us and that you would tear them down and that we would bust through walls of hostility on our campus for your glory and for your namesake, oh God. And that we would see revival come. A revival similar to that of the day of Pentecost a revival similar to that of Azusa Street, where we see people come together in the name of Jesus for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. amen.